Welcome to the Nicole Murphy podcast. Today I'm doing an Instagram live with Joe Martino and he is the founder of Collective Evolution and The Pulse. He's been working in the alternative media space for 14 years. He has so much wisdom, so much knowledge and has experienced censorship um, and, and a cutting down of the business that has been been really devastating. I'm excited to chat with him today about all things media, censorship. We're going to dive into the pros and cons of what we see in alternative and mainstream media. We're going to dive into fact checkers and and really look at what does the future hold for conscious media. I think Joe's coming in right now. Mm. <laughs> this is the most awkward part of every live. You'd be like, oh, are you in? Are you coming in? Hi, Joe. Is that not work? Yeah. How you doing? Good. How are you? Uh, doing pretty good. Doing pretty good. I was uh, trying to determine if, if this was going to be distracting, but I think if I just sit here, it should be fine. Yeah, that's awesome. My dad was telling me the other day, he's like, make sure you get everything out from behind your head. And then he's like, you know what, just use the living room. It's fine. For those who don't know, I'm living with my parents right now um, at 35 years old. Um, so I'm excited for this conversation. I was just introducing kind of your background. And Joe has been, you know, speaking out about these issues for a really long time. And I just want to bring attention to that because I did an interview with Sarah Swain the other day. And she was like, wow, I have to thank the people who knew what was going on, who was speaking about it for years before it took a pandemic to wake me up. And so I just want to thank you for that because Collective Evolution had a huge hand in bringing attention, issues, topics, conspiracy theories that are now mainstream. Yeah, it's funny. We were just uh, talking, I was talking with Richard Gage, the architects and engineer uh, for 9-11 Truth founder, and um, we were talking with him yesterday, trying to do an interview, which ended up having some technical issues. But we were talking about how that initial, like, global event produced a great deal of change that, that it, you know, almost primed a ton of people to be more uh, receptive to questioning authority in the time of COVID-19. Um, so I, I think we're all sort of in some way, shape or form standing on shul shoulders of, of somebody before us, um, which is always a fascinating part of, of this whole, you know, sort of human evolutionary journey here. Yeah, totally. So why don't you give people a little background of collective evolution and how you got into creating media? Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, never quote unquote wanted to be a journalist per se. It was, uh, it was more so I, I had always just liked asking big questions and, um, exploring different ideas. And, uh, the, I guess the other piece to that was that when I was younger, uh, probably 18, 19 years old, I started to feel a lot of angst about the idea of going from, you know, the, the your, your childhood life into you got to start making some big choices about what you're going to do in university and, and, and your work, uh, your career, what that what's that going to look like. And, and for me, there was this sense of, I don't know that this feels super fulfilling, sort of the path I was on. And um, this, you know, caused me to start questioning life's questioning things, um, which I did. And ultimately, um, I won't keep make the story too long. But through a whole series of events, uh, ended up dropping out of college, all these different things, um, and uh, and just working. And the more I worked, the more I realized that, you know, the way we kind of live our life 
as a society has, uh, you know, a lot of room for potential improvement. So um, I began uh, writing about how I felt online. And that's what kind of initially started Collective Evolution. It was a it was a mixture of writing about transformational ideas to writing about societal ideas and, and how we might be able to transition things. And then, of course, you know, this comes with having to ask questions, like ask difficult questions about, you know, what is the nature of how things function in our society? Why do they function this way? How can we change it? And um, and that's kind of what started Collective Evolution on this journey of eventually what it became over the course of time, you know, one of one of the biggest alternative platforms out there for a little while until censorship came along and then that changed. And then, you know, we branched off and created the pulse. And um, yeah, that's kind of been the journey. There's a lot of details to fill in there, but that's the general idea. I love it. So so let's dive into censorship since you started talking about that. What mm -hmm. For people who are out there saying censorship doesn't exist, because yeah. there are people who truly believe that it does not exist, that, you know, it's almost like if your content's not being seen, it's because it's not popular. Yeah. What would you say to somebody who has that belief right now? Um, I would just probably send them all the different graphs and, and data that, that really supports the idea of, of what has happened. I mean, a lot of people don't know that there's, you know, um, there's whistleblowers from Google, for example, who have come out and said, you know, here's exactly how we eliminated um, all these websites, you know, talking about natural and alternative health. Here's how we eliminated it from, from Google. And for people who are wondering, you know, what is the impact of that? Well, we used to get maybe 60, 70,000 hits a day to our website from Google as a search engine. So our website was so popular, we had so many people clicking and reading our stuff all the time that we ranked very, very high on Google. So if somebody typed in a topic and, and our website talked about it, it, it would be there. That's how we got so much traffic. That went, uh, I believe it was uh, in 2020, May of 2020 or May of, or May of 2018, I have, to, I have to double check my YouTube versus my Google console stats. But one of them is, I believe YouTube is 2020, the other one's 2018, but uh, in Google 2018, in May, May 1st, they just shut everything off. And you can see a straight hockey stick graph down, um, you know, just we're not showing up on their uh, search engine results anymore. You know, that's that's just one form of censorship. Uh, you know, other forms are the way they eliminated search terms from YouTube, right? So it's the same sort of thing. Instead of uh, the Google My search dad, engine now. My dad, just like yeah. wanted to, for some reason, bug me. So... Yeah. <laughs> Do you just want to come say hi to everyone since no. we're live? Yeah, okay. <laughs> I left this here because it's so smart. Okay, he's going golfing SMRT. now. SMRT. Yeah, bye, Dad. See you later. Yeah. <laughs> it's um, like this very serious conversation about censorship. That would be a great interview. Yeah, it is a great. And hopefully people stick around. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, so, sorry. Um, so it cuts off. Yeah, no worries, no worries. Um, so then, yeah, so that went from, you know, then, then YouTube came along and YouTube's uh, sort of same, similar sort of story. You had, you know, eliminating people from search engine algorithms, um, eliminating different types of content, um, demonetizing different pages. Uh, you know, the idea is that, oh, well, you know, they were sharing fake news of some sort. And I, th I think, you know, anybody who's kind of been paying attention has probably started to realize that this concept of fake news um, is extremely subjective. Um, yes, there are times where stories are fake and their stories are false. And, you know, I've spent a lot of time trying to point that out over the years. Um, but at the same time, there are a lot of things that are em emerging or evolving stories, um, stories that just don't uh, necessarily align with what the mainstream conjecture, uh, conjecture or mainstream narrative might be. 
And those stories are considered false, but they're not really. Uh, a recent example was we just had a story uh, on the Pulse. Um, we hadn't had, I would say, a fact check on uh, Collect Revolution or the Pulse's Facebook page for many, 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 many months. It, it was a long time. And um, we just got one over an article that contains nothing in it that's false. Uh, I mean, I had looked at that a, a number of times, uh, read over the article a whole bunch of times, trying to figure out why they gave this a fake news strike. The actual um, claim that they were saying we were making, we didn't make in the article. And when we went through the normal process, which is to say, okay, we check with the fact checker and we talk to them back and forth, say, hey, can we remove this strike? Here's the details, blah, blah, blah. Do you want us to make any edits? They came back literally saying, if you don't know what's wrong with this piece, then that our decision is final and that's it. And, and then they put, oh, and by the way, um, because of new Facebook's new policies, we don't have to answer any of your future emails about this particular piece of content. So here is who is considered the largest, one of the most well-funded fact checkers on the internet, telling us that they refuse to tell us what is false about our article. And when you get a fake news strike, it means all of your page reach is diminished. So less people are gonna see your content. And again, that's censorship. And here's a fact checker trying to say that we don't need to point out which facts are false. We don't need to tell you. Even though their article about our article, it doesn't even make any sense, right? So this is the kind of stuff that, that goes on. This is, the, this is the kind of thing that's happening. Um, it goes deeper and further. We could talk about censorship for like two, three hours. But um, I would say the only thing I will say is not every single person is innocent when it comes to fake news when they claim that, that they're innocent. There are a lot of alternative e pages that are doing really nonsensical stuff and getting in trouble for it and then saying, hey, you know, we shouldn't have gotten in trouble. But there are also a lot of really great actors out there doing the right thing that are being censored at the same time. I think we saw that a lot uh, with COVID. Well, and that's what drew me to the pulse and to your page is because you were showing example after example of like, mm -hmm. we were fact checked here and then they had to retract or you were sharing stories about what you would talk about, you know, years ago and now it's more mainstream. So seeing that timeline was really key for me that drew me to what you guys are doing. Yeah. Yeah, and it's 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 weird because it's like one of those things where you're literally watching the narratives, the, the stories that were once complete conspiracy theory back in the day. And uh, like it was it was very similar to the conversation I was having yesterday with uh with uh, Richard Gage and and Madhava as we were we were just talking about like here's a whole bunch of unanswered questions, right? About 9/11. Just these I we don't know the answer to these questions and they make no sense. I'm not claiming to know what the answer to what exactly happened is, but all of these things factually, evidently do not make any sense at all. And the implications of that are huge. And, you know, to, to have so many examples like that, where you have all of these questions you've been asking, you know, back in the day, it was geoengineering and chemtrails, right? It was the idea that there were planes that could spray stuff in the sky that were uh, chemical compounds to modify weather to, I mean, we didn't really know entirely what they were doing, right? Now this subject is talked about in universities and in geoengineering circles, and it's like, it's acknowledged as, as a thing that's going on. You know, so here's a narrative that we were told, oh, it's complete conspiracy theory, but really all we were doing was saying, well, our eyes are saying this is happening. There's evidence that this is happening. There's, there's, there's literal, um, you know, chemical compounds that are, that are falling from the sky that people are, are then 
taking and sampling and running uh, through lab tests, and it all matches the story. What's going on? And you know, from conspiracy theory to reality, right? I mean, that's that's I think why so many people are frustrated. They feel gaslit, and and they have been. And I talk yeah. about this a lot too. It's like if we waited for throughout history, if we waited for the governments or the authorities to tell us what was going on, we would never know what's going on. It always comes yeah. from people, as you said, observing, looking around, getting curious. And yeah, it's so fascinating. This, also, this becomes the big question. This becomes a big question, right? Is like, do you think that the government will one day just like come clean, for example, about all the mistakes they made with COVID-19 and just say, yeah, here's, you know, sorry, guys, here's the truth. Like, I mean, what are your thoughts on that? Do you think that'll happen? No, there's no way. No. And what's fascinating, what I find really fascinating, I'm, I'm passionate about human psychology. And I say mm. that probably because I've had issues in my own life. <laughs> and, and just, again, it's that experience. But I'm so curious as to even if they did say certain things, if people would believe it, because we get so right. entrenched in a certain filter. Yeah, it's so interesting. Yeah, the, the phenomenon of a crashing worldview um, and uh, the implications of that. So if, you know, if, you're, if you're going through a moment where everything you thought you believed and you thought you knew um, was coming crashing down, it's a very uncomfortable feeling um, you know, for most people, if not I almost venture to say for all people in some way, shape or form, right? There's gonna be different spectrums of, of how people respond to that. Um, but you know, in a lot of cases, that's what it comes down to when, when they're making the decision. Do I want to, you know, uh, per se, stop believing everything mainstream media is saying and, and, and maybe start opening up to what alternative media is saying? It's, it's almost like a, a risk to some extent that you have to assess within yourself because regardless of, you know, this, it's easy to say, hey, let's just seek the truth. But, you know, do we really want to know and, and navigate and unpack what that truth might mean? Um, and I'm not even getting into the most deepest, deepest of conspiracies or anything, but sometimes something as simple as, you know, the government pushed through, let's say, a, a vaccination that wasn't really properly tested and, and perhaps their actions were reckless and unnecessary. What does that say? What are the implications of that? Right. And for some people, that's very, very uncomfortable. Um, now, it's not to say that we shouldn't go ask these questions. It's just that we kind of have to collectively sort of make space for what it takes to actually enter into these worldview changing questions and explorations. Yeah. And I want to just go back because I thought of this when you were talking about your experience with the fact checker. Um, mm -hmm. If they were really dedicated to truth, why would they not just tell you what was wrong with the article? Right. Yeah. It's, it's this like nonsensical game that they're playing. And, and again, to be fair, like if you look at these fact checkers and like how often they get, just beat down by other people, like in terms of like, they get attacked, they get so many angry emails, they're, you know, they're the subject of so many lawsuits, right? I'm sure they're frustrated as heck too. But the, the general point is, it's like, at some point, and again, I know this is easier said than done. But at some point, you have to say, you know what, I'm, I'm not even going to do this anymore. <laughs> like, you, you know, mm -hmm. to be in a job where you have to control narratives, like it's being acknowledged in, in the courts now, that fact checking is is subjective right so you're having you know the highest uh, places of 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 where where evidence is being considered and they're acknowledging okay fact checking is subjective it's political 
well, how is anybody supposed to make sense of, of a world where, you know, uh, what is supposed to be fact is nothing but political ideology, right? It's, it's complicated. Like, I, I feel for audiences out there who are trying to, like, uh, who do I believe? Where do I, like, I feel that way sometimes. <laughs> like, you know, you're a trained journalist. Sometimes I'm sure you feel that way, too. Oh, I feel that way daily. And I want yeah. to go back because I do have this, actually, this question written down is, what, how do people navigate the crumbling, even the most simple beliefs? This, this happens in our own relationships as well. This happens within ourselves where we like, who we thought we were starts to kind of crumble. What we thought yeah. was real starts to crumble. And then when it's on a government level, a global level, a community level, how does someone navigate that? I mean, I could, I could, I could, I could put out all the, all the things that I've been sort of in my own space, what I, what I do or, or the stuff, when I ask that question, who do I look to and, and how have I tried to, to come up with an answer to this? And I have a lot of things to say, but the bottom line is, is that it's, I think it's, it's, it's really, really challenging because there almost has to be some level of, of acknowledgement and acceptance that we're in a time where it's very, very difficult to know what is. And it might be a little bit easier to start to understand sometimes more so what like might not be true. So like we know that this kind of isn't, but we still don't necessarily know what is, right? So um, we may not know entirely the whole story with what happened, for example, over the last two years with COVID-19 and so on and so forth, but we probably have a good idea of what certain things aren't true. And we might be able to kind of see where we don't have as much certainty as, as we think. And, and that's kind of one of the biggest pieces to the puzzle is, is being able to really navigate the space between where you know what you're certain about and where you know what you're not certain about and, and kind of being able to hold that. And of course, all of this is built on a foundation of being able to sit with yourself, being able to understand your own awareness, understand your own feelings, understand your own reactions to something. Um, you know, whether you have gut intuitions or feelings about something um, that can sometimes guide you is another, you know, piece of the puzzle. However, I've been doing this for 15 years. If I had a nickel for the amount of time somebody said, hey, my intuition or my thing, blah, 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 says this and this is true. I mean, I'd be loaded right now. You know, people's intuitions are wrong all the time. It doesn't mean that you can't develop that to be good. It's just that sometimes, I mean, what even is the, our intuition and how do we know we're pulling from that and not some other response in our physiology right all roads lead back to self-awareness uh, and that that road of transformation yeah and we've talked about this a lot because sometimes i feel like i'm going crazy where i'm like how can people not see how transformational self-awareness self-development is completely connected to news and journalism and the stories that are you know playing out on a global scale yeah. and I talk about this too, like it's kind of, I find it challenging. I don't know if you can speak to this. I find it challenging to do this work and know I'm gonna be hypocritical at times just cause it's like human nature. Know that I'm gonna get something wrong. Know that I'm yeah. gonna look back on something I've said and been like, oh, I was totally off base there. It's painful to show up <laughs> when, you, when I can observe that and like know that that's kind of the human experience. Yeah. So now this is turning into a therapy session. How do I deal with that, Joe? <laughs> well, again, I think this, this goes back to the, the sort of the concept of 
what we might believe about something and what our, our you know, our stance or position is on it, right? It, it's like this idea of, uh, you know, somebody can ask me something about, you know, COVID vaccinations, or for example, and they'll say, you know, how many people are going to be like injured or, or, you know, all these sorts of things. It's like, well, I can tell you that what my belief might be, and I can tell you what the evidence actually says, and and we can play with both of those options, right? And and the key is, is if I'm presenting something to an audience and I'm trying to be responsible about what I'm saying, I'm going to make clear what might be my position about something and the evidence that supports that. And if I do have a hypothesis or an intuition or a feeling about something more, you know, I can allude to that, but make it make it clear. And that way, in a sense, you're 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 being able to express your curiosity, express where you're still thinking about things, but not necessarily going out and doing what, you know, so many of the, the prominent voices out there are doing, which is, you know, in, in three to five years, all the people that have received the vaccine are going to die, which I think is, there's no evidence for that. And it's grossly irresponsible, in my opinion. But it's not to say that it's not possible that there could be some large scale issues. It's just what do we gain by making such, you know, uh, crazy, you know, choices? I mean, and I've said this before, it's like, it's almost like in that sense, we're, we're dehumanizing people who have received a vaccine down to just numbers that they're all going to die, right? It's like, we're not even thinking about people and what are words and what implications that might have. And I think this sort of leads back to that question of, you know, what do we do to, you know, sort of navigate areas where we might be wrong? It's like, well, I mean, just the fact that you have awareness that that process may unfold usually will cause you to kind of be a little bit more careful, a little bit more open, a little bit more playful about it, right? Um, I think the breakdown in sense-making that is happening and, and people not knowing where to turn, what's true, what's going on, is ultimately creating an environment where we can't solely rely entirely on just like these these hyperbolic statements all the time. Um, and we're going to go crazy if we spend all of our time just mentally trying to figure out the world. They're, they're, it's forcing us into this uncomfortable position of having to say, okay, how do I calm down? How do I regulate? How do I find a sense of peace, and then perhaps generate a balance between how I look at information and how I feel, and, and kind of and kind of figure that out. Um, because I also think a lot of people, you know, went really got really really deep into information and news over this over the course of COVID because we wanted to know what was going on. Um, and I think there's a bit of a pulling back effect that's that's happening now too. Definitely, and and. Let's just go, let's go here now. What do you think, people are going to be mad about this, what do you think mainstream media actually does well? Um, I would say that they're, this is a weird one, their uh, rigor when it comes to fact or when it comes to evidence is generally better than the ultimate, generally. Now, what's the asterisk that I write with that? Where they derive what they think is fact can sometimes be the issue. Where they derive what they think is an authoritative position or, or from an expert is I think is the issue because, you know, I think there's a significantly less chance that mainstream media is going to take a set of facts or, or a story and just run to print with it or just post it online really, really quickly in a rush trying to be the first person to be viral, right? I mean, I know mainstream media does that. They want to be first, but they're careful about what they do. And I can't say that about all of alternative media out there. There is, um, 
sometimes a desire to just get it out there because it'll be viral and, and that's it, that's all. And there may not be as much verification of facts. So I think in that way, they do that well. Um, keeping the message simple is something that they also do pretty good. They, they, they keep the message pretty like linear and simple. I mean, that's kind of what um, I, I would imagine. I've never done uh, um, formal journalism training. However, observing what happens and what comes out of mainstream media seems like they're specifically tailoring the way they derive their content in, in a, a way that's understandable by the largest amount of people. And the way they typically talk about this is they write at like a grade, whatever, five, three, yeah. four, five level, whatever yeah. it is. Right. Um, so I would say those are the areas where I think they do good work. Um, but yeah, I don't know. What, what, what would you add to that? I, you hit the nail on the head with the two that I was kind of thinking about is they do a good job of checking the facts, but they're not always filtered the correct, yeah. like the, the context is, is skewed. So they don't get the yeah. full picture and, and they're good at story. They're really yeah. good at not being confusing, which is what you were getting at. I mean, we're, yeah. we're taught that, that said throughout, the last few years, what I've seen has been really confusing. There's a thing called burying the lead, where the main part of your story that you want to get clear about gets pushed way lower, and it should be at the top. And what I've seen yeah. with some V injury articles is they start with a huge, a few paragraphs of alleviating fear. This is super rare. Da -da 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 -da. Here's the government link, even though we know that that is majorly underreported. We know. And it's like this alleviation of fear to get into the story and to like get into what's going on, which I hadn't fully seen before the last few years. So I'd say this is what's hard for people who work in mainstream media to get their head around is they are trained to do it in a certain way. And as you said, be very detail oriented and not make mistakes, but where they're getting their information is very questionable. And it's not, um, I don't think they're listening to the, the people as much anymore it's it's yeah 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 and i think like you know i think the challenge is is there's a there's an assumption that world health organization the cdc the fda yes. so on and so forth i mean they just have to be right you know health canada has to be right um or we have a responsibility as media and journalism uh in the mainstream when there might be a crisis or something going on we have a responsibility to just convey whatever government is saying well, I mean, that defeats the purpose of what kind of journalism is about, right? Because you're supposed to be holding them to account, right? And so, again, it's not to say that, well, in the time of a crisis, the government's always going to lie. It's to say, can we find out if they are, right? And, and be open to that. And I think that's what went completely out the window um, with the mainstream. And, and I would say over the last little while, um, you know, you've had journalists leave the mainstream and then start talking about what happened. I mean, uh, you know, through our, our mutual friend, Richard Garner, I've heard some interesting stories. Um, because, you know, Trish Wood, Trish Wood, we got to talk yeah, to. Trish Wood has talked about things. Um, there's been a lot of people talking about um, problems within the mainstream media that, you know, they're like, we weren't allowed to write stories, plain and simple. They weren't allowed. So some of these journalists, and this is why I always tell people, it's like, it, it doesn't really help us to say, well, the mainstream media isn't always bad. It's always, it's like 100%, it doesn't, that doesn't help us because there's actually a lot of, you know, decent stuff in there. And then there's a lot of journalists that actually want to say something. 
but they can't because of the position they're in. And, um, and I've seen that time and time and time again. Now, again, the, the point is, is, I think at the end of the day is that you, you have to question whatever you're, you're getting your information from, right? Whatever your source is, you, you've got to question it. You've got to look at it. Um, you know, because there's, there's, there's bunk everywhere, to be quite honest, and, and political agenda everywhere. Yeah. And I was saying yesterday, if a journal, like if you feel like someone's offering you up certainty in journalism, then you might just want to assess that. You might just want to look at that because, mm -hmm. and I, I get into those places sometimes too. We're just seeking to like have the person give us the answer. Yeah. yeah. You know, mainstream is always wrong and alternatives always right. Well, we've very clearly seen that that's not true through the mm -hmm. last few years as well. That yeah. said, Alternative media gets called out all the time, and I don't see mainstream media getting called out in the same way no. by, excuse me, by fact checkers, by, yeah. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's a lot more rare. Usually if, uh, like, if you go to a fact checking website and you really sift through, they're usually picking on mainstream media on stories that seem, like, unimportant or stories that seem, you know, almost like they're picking on a lack of political context. So it's like, well, you know, this is okay, but they missed a little bit of like political cost. So it's like they're just picking on small details and nuances, but they're not, you know, for example, any mainstream media outlet that isn't updating a lot of its stories about, for example, um, anything that was said about the lab leak early on, technically all those articles are false, right? At this point, right? Because it was literally called a baseless conspiracy theory and it was written everywhere. And so now either those institutions have to go back and delete those articles or make it, you know, the right way to do it would be to, to make an update and say, hey, here's, you know, here's our correction, here's what's going on. And if they don't, fact checkers should be all over them, right? If fact checkers are going to come after me for an article written in 2016, this, this is actually a true story. They wrote, uh, we wrote a, a, an article way back in like 2015, 2016, a study that was basically saying, you know what? milk might cause problems uh, with bones, right? Here's the rate of osteoporosis. Here's what was talked about, right? So you go, okay, that's a, that's, that's a, that's the story, right? It's just, we're reporting on a study. They come back and they say, well, other studies say different things. Therefore, this is false, right? So it's like, so you're going to go back five years and pick on like a story so that you can give us a strike, but you won't even touch anything the mainstream media gets wrong. Right. And again, it's the unfair treatment of, uh, of independent and alternative media. So what does independent and alternative media do really well? I would say that there's a lot more openness to explore different ideas and different like, I mean, that's the whole point, right? Alternative uh, perspectives on things. And I think that's crucially important because, I mean, we're complex beings, humans, and Stories are usually very complex, very complicated. You know? So, um, you know, being able to question, like, just think about something as simple as when you're growing up, you kind of learn, at least I did, there's, there's two explanations for why or how we got here, right? It's God, God in some religious capacity, God created humans or, um, you know, evolution explains it. Well, the problem is, is there's, you know, one, there's no way to prove it at all. And, and the other one is, has so many holes in the story that as a theory, it's a theory, right? And anytime another explanation comes forth, it's seen as like, no, that's, it, that, that offers nothing. But it's like, 
well, hold on a second. There are literally all of these other perspectives that are pretty interesting when you actually go down the road of, of looking at them and listening to them. There's a lot of really, really interesting perspectives out there that just are not taken seriously. And it's like not really an option, right? So these are alternative ideas that are asking us to question these basically binary options, either this or this that you believe, right? But there's so many other options. And that's ultimately what I think alternative uh, media does well is, is potentially looking at other possibilities and other ideas um, about various stories, about various um, political ideas, societal ideas, right? There's different types of uh, alternative media. There's some that are extremely political. There's some that are perhaps extremely conspiratorial. And there's some that are trying to more so make the world a better place and like, you know, thinking about things in a different way. It's, it's, it's tough. It is. It's so interesting. Um, so where do you think media is going? What do you, where do you think, is it adjustments to what we already have? Is there ideas of like, what could media look like in the future? That's, I mean, most beneficial for people, whatever that means. Yeah. Well, I think there's, you know, where I think certain parts of it will go, which is kind of like, and we've talked about this before, um, AI will start writing a ton of articles, yeah. you know, and, and do the mass reporting. So if you have, you know, if you have, uh, you know, Associated Press or Reuters who are just getting press releases, right? So um, there might be a journalist somewhere on the ground that sees something and then sends that to AP or Reuters. And then that gets filtered down to all of the big, you know, newspapers and, and uh, sources and so on and so forth. I mean, now it's like those stories and those press releases are going to be filtered into all of these outlets who are now it's just going to be AI writing all this, right? Like why pay a person when your machine can just do it? <laughs> you know, and so I, just I, wanna, just, I just want to interrupt really quick. Sorry to just for people who are listening going, that sounds crazy. They're already testing yeah. it out. They've already written yeah. about this. So go on. Yeah. So I think that is, uh, you know, that's going to happen on one hand. I, I think, you know, more on the, where do I want to see it go? You know, where do I want to see? Uh, I I just particularly would like to see less of a less of a drive towards this classical. You know, every news outlet has to have a political spin. It's like uh, sometimes I could it's just like I get it. I get that it's like you know people are going to be different. We're going to have different ideas and. It's okay to take our ideas and put it into a container, i.e. I'm a progressive, I'm a libertarian, I'm a Republican, whatever it is. It's like, I get it, but at the same time, you're, you're, you're by nature creating these, these divisions and these boxes and these ways in which agendas and, and story selections and all these sorts of things are, are going to be spun, right? So I would like to see almost no political affiliation with uh, with newspapers. Now that, that means you're going to have to basically change the ownership structures of, of all of these media outlets because almost all of them are owned by people who have their own agendas and things are put out that particular way based on the agenda that, that they want to push, right? Um, that's been like that since time. Newspapers have been <laughs> doing that since time. So this is not a new idea. Um, so I would like to see some of that. I would like to see, um, I don't know, almost like just a, more of a of a almost like a, a sociological or philosophical uh, set of questioning within it like 
what does this really mean? What, is, what, what about us as people is really driving this particular story, this particular idea, this event that happened? Like, like encouraging people to think past the, this is, this person is bad. You know, this country is bad. You know, like that's, that's ultimately what so much of our media is these days is it's like, you know, here's the story and, and, and by nature of we don't care what human condition caused this, it's just bad, right? We're never really going to solve problems. And one of the interesting ways to look at this is, you know, you ask the question, it's like somebody becomes an abuser. How did they, I'm so fascinated about how they became an abuser. What led them as a child to become an abuser? Because then if you can actually get to the core, you can start to make this problem potentially go away in the future, as opposed to, well, we have an abuser, we just need to put them in jail, and that's it, right? That's how media views things in the same light. It's, it's you have a bad person, we need to solve that problem, but we never solve anything at the core. Um, I just wrote a piece called, um, when people, uh, racism plummeted when people were told aliens exist. And it looks at a story of, of a study that was done in the United States. And, uh, you know, I'll say this right off the top. I contextualize what racism means in this particular piece because I think that's a word that's also just gone off the rails and kind of means everything these days, which I don't think is productive. Um, but, you know, I kind of make it clear, but it's the basic idea was this researcher was trying to understand, you know, why do people think the way they do? And how did people become very controlling in their their views of society and what should be done and then why are some people more open and and how do those people respond to people that are different from them to people whether they're different because of skin color whether they're different because of culture whether they're different because of just ideas right she just wanted to understand all this and i you know i won't give it all away but it's fascinating what them running an experiment where they said just so you know aliens exist and they're nothing like us that one, like, you know, trick they played on these people for the purposes of the study was fascinating in terms of the results that it produced. Um, so I'll kind of leave that there and encourage people to go check that one out. Yeah. But, yeah. That's really interesting. And, and it, that's happening, as you're kind of alluding to, too, on alternative and in mainstream media, this, like, these are the good people, these are the bad people, the virtue signaling, the... Mm -hmm tribalism that is really fascinating what's your number one what what's the big thing you would want to see changed mm. i'm not just trying to use your thoughts here joe i'm, <laughs> I'm really not but I, I talk about this quite a bit and i was telling my family about this like i i've been in different groups and different situations throughout my life and different religious environments and things like that i feel the most excited and the most myself when I'm surrounded by people who don't have the same ideas as me, but mm. everybody's like very curious and, you know, it can get heated at times or can be, but like, that's where I feel the most productive and, and myself. So for me, it's similar. It's like just creating more environments where there's actually diversity of thought, where yeah. there's philosophical discussion where people disagree, but that doesn't mean they don't love each other or that it doesn't mean anything against their identity, you know? Yeah. And I'm not saying yeah, no, by any means. A hundred percent. And, and it's interesting because like, there's almost like this idealistic view that often is had within various circles where, you know, we'll eventually get everybody to think the same. 
right? Or, you know, eventually everybody will just have kind of the same understanding of the truth, right? And I don't think that will ever happen. It'll definitely, I think we will have unifying factors. But, and I, and I definitely believe we will deeply improve, and I think we're being forced to right now, to be honest, um, we'll deeply improve our, our capacity to, you know, see our similarities more than our differences. Um, and what I mean by that is to connect deeply with where we are similar and to notice where we're different and allow that to enrich our lives, but not become this obsessive point where here's how this person is exactly different. And ooh, we need to go out of our way to celebrate. It's like, it, it becomes so inauthentic, right? So much, this like heightening of, of, of obsessing over diversity. There will always be diversity. It's a fact of life. When you go outside, you're not obsessing over that is a tree and that is a, a, a blade of grass. And then you just notice it and you allow it to be part of your environment, right? There's this like cultural obsession right now with like everybody, we have to, to lift up everybody's differences. Well, the interesting part of the alien study was that they proved that celebrating and going crazy about people's differences is the worst way to unite people. It literally does the opposite. It just divides them more, right? So, so here you have this, this, in a sense, this um, sort of cultural woke ideology that's been happening for, you know, the past little while. Um, you know, touching on anything from uh, gender to uh, uh, sexuality to uh, race to um, socioeconomic class, all these different things. And we're taking, for the most part, these are all important issues, but we're taking, for the most part, the worst route to solving those things. And we wonder why there's more division. We wonder why there's more hatred. We wonder why. And I thought this study kind of lent an interesting idea towards kind of how we might be actually creating more division um, and what we might be able to do to do something different. But I don't know. I thought, I thought, it, was, thought it was interesting for sure. So interesting. It's so interesting. And what's crazy right now is you saying that people could be like, you're racist. Oh, of course. Of course. <laughs> you know, or, or you don't understand or like, that's the, that's the issue that we're dealing with is just like not having these conversations that can just flow. And I guess yeah. I'll just be like, for me, when I really reflect as to why I would need people to be believing the things I believe or doing the things I do, it is like a, a feedback system of validation and mm -hmm. And it's nice to be validated. That's why people seek out like-minded people. That's what everyone's like craving right now. I don't want to be alone. I want to be around like-minded people. Yeah. But where can we hold space and be like like-hearted yeah. and not need that feedback in the same way? Yeah. Yeah. It's a, we'll, we'll, we'll have to find, and I think there's lots of different ways for this to happen, but um, we'll have to find ways to be able to be more present, more embodied more within ourselves more um just kind of like in a state of being for the most part um as opposed to be uh being such like a sort of a, a mentally sort of heady um driven type society um i think it's we've kind of been invited on a deep level to spend most of our times most of our lives in our head um over the past while and i think it's just continually building up more and more and more and more and more of that and this is why I think, you know, this idea of transformation, 
it, it, you know, it's like, it's the trickle down, right? Like upstream from how media functions is how culture functions upstream from how culture is built is, you know, who, who we are and how we believe certain things. And upstream from that, it can be our biology and, and the way our biology is biased towards certain things. And upstream from that is how much self-awareness do we have of what's going on within our biology, right? So you see, if you want to solve a problem, you got to go all the way up the ladder and, and start understanding what is the source, what is the core of how so much of our world views, therefore so much of our actions, where is it coming from? And then how do we find reliable ways to be able to explore what is driving our worldview, what is driving uh, our, you know, how, how do we get to our self-awareness, the sense of flow, the sense of being in a space where we can feel and we can notice, how do we get there reliably and regularly um, so that we can kind of have that sense of exploring as opposed to just, here's my crystallized idea and everything that challenges that is, like you, know, yeah. <laughs> you know. That's what it feels yeah. like though when you're in that state, it's like, it's like, it's, it's interesting you did that motion with your body because it's a protective yeah. thing as yeah. opposed to an open experience. So we both also like to think though like you're you're very um um thoughtful and you spend a lot of time digging in your brain and being in your head as well so what does that balance look like because someone who's only being i think there mm -hmm. can be a lot of problems with that as well yeah i mean being is using your mind right at least in my opinion okay. um okay. maybe being, being is it's sort of you know if you're in the present moment it doesn't mean your mind is gone uh, it doesn't mean that your mind doesn't work. I mean, your mind is technically always working. It's technically always filtering out and, and taking in and making sense of, you know, basically a soup of energy that is all around us. Is it, Our mind is logically crystallizing those ones and zeros, if you will, just to create a, a, um, a visual. It's crystallizing those ones and zeros into things that we see, right? So our mind is always going, it's always doing something. And, and the process of thought or the process of um, exploration is something best like it's like the idea of a monk right a monk will sit there and meditate it's not that they're not thinking or that they don't think or that their insights aren't uh you know in a, in a sense thought it's that what they're doing is they're just slowly but surely sort of quieting the endless chatter and the strength of the chatter in the mind and in some cases there's different parts of the brain that are turning on right? There's different connections that are being made. Um, we can start getting into the idea that uh, some form of external uh, information can be pulled into the mind, right? Can be pulled into the brain and be expressed in some way, shape or form, right? That's a whole other um, piece to the puzzle that's on the metaphysical and the spiritual side of things. Um, but ultimately, there's a, there's a quieting effect that allows there to be more contemplative thought, more calm, more clear, less jumping from all of these different uh, knee-jerk or trauma responses that might be going through the body, right? That's what meditation helps us do. It's not meant to create a silent mind as much as it's meant to create a, um, a quiet mind. And another way to think about it is it's like those monks, for example, they might, or, or, you know, you might liken if you can achieve it. And there are places where people can achieve this type of thing a type of quiet mind that's just so dead quiet. There's like, even your whole body can become so, I've, I've had these experiences uh, myself from different types of breath work or different types of meditation that I've done. And you might see that as like going up the mountain, 
And as you go up the mountain, it gets more pure and pure and pure, right? This is just kind of the analogy. And then you get to the top and you're like, oh my God, this is the purest space. And then what do you realize? Oh, I'm kind of up here by myself. <laughs> okay, well, there's not a whole lot to do up here. Okay, I kind of I can see more clearly now that I'm up here. I can see what's going on down there. All right, let me take that knowledge and go back down the mountain and play. And that's kind of the idea is, is how do we perhaps regularly and reliably get up to that top of the mountain? Or how do we even take 10 steps up and just kind of stay there a little bit of a higher elevated perspective um, instead of just being in the weeds in the trenches every single day? Um, that's some of the ways if that was clear in which I interpret kind of that, that being in a place of, of, of being, being a little bit more present, um, kind of allowing your body, allowing your mind, allowing your, your senses to pick up our reality a little better. Yeah, I get what you're saying. It's, it's, yeah, it's not turning off the mind. It's just being more aware. Probably yeah. also regulating the nervous system is what you're getting at as well. Absolutely. And, you know, and it's not like we're going to be in this flow state constantly, right? It's more so um, if the flow state, again, for, for visual sake, if the flow state's here, and this is like just being in a completely chattered mind all the time, you know, how do we elevate our baseline being so that we might be here as a baseline and then we can go to flow and then come back down as opposed to go to flow and then come back down, you know? Um, so it's, it's elevating our baseline. And, and, you know, the concept of baseline is discussed a lot in, um, in flow states. It's discussed a lot in, uh, in nervous system health, right? We generate a baseline based on a multitude of physiological responses. I mean, you know a lot about neuroplasticity in the brain, right? You know, if your brain is in a certain state, that's your baseline. And you can reprogram that and create a new baseline. Um, again, we're kind of getting into a lot of different topics I know, but, here. <laughs> but it is, this is so important. And I think that it's good we're having this conversation because um, I've talked about this a lot. Alternative or mainstream media often uses a flight or fight, if it bleeds, it leads type yeah. of experience to get people interested in their news now yeah. i'm not saying that that's good bad right or wrong like it's 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 just it is what it is and what i'm noticing in my life with myself and the people when i observe is we have this real as human beings almost like addiction to this fear response this sympathetic nervous system response now the sympathetic nervous system it's not bad we need it it's very important so it's not like parasympathetic parasympathetic good sympathetic bad they're doing you know it's like metabolic health you want to be able to mm -hmm. shift from my yeah. belief. But how do we, with media, with story, with news, how do we get people interested in it without tapping on that fear button? Is there a way? Yeah, that's a, I mean, I think that's the million dollar question. Um, I was literally just earlier. Um, oh, I might have to close the window. Just give me one second. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was, I thought it was one of the other cats. I was like, oh, the cats. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, so, um, you know, that's kind of one of the, the million dollar questions. I was, I was having a conversation um, with another colleague that's, he's a writer, uh, you know, he's a very prominent sort of writer and, and, and felt like he should be having a bit more success, let's say, with his writing platform than he was currently having. And sort of asked, hey, do you have any like thoughts or advice? And I'm like, you know what, I'm, I'm in the same boat, I think, as you at the moment, sort of questioning. It, it feels like uh, the if it bleeds or leads, or it feels like the more radical 
um, statements, headlines, stories are getting a lot more um, attention and spread a lot faster than the ones that are more metered, grounded, um, let's say truthful per se. Um, and that's an interesting situation that we're in. The, the funny thing is just before I came on here, I, I came across a study that was basically saying that uh, content that is produces anger is at the moment significantly more contagious than any other type of content. So what they're seeing is that it'll spread further because people are, uh, there's some other research that actually supports this that says one of the best ways to connect with somebody is to find your common hatred, which That's is which is really fascinating, right? It's what what is the thing that we both dislike and then we unite on that, right? Here in Canada, it's like you find somebody else that dislikes Trudeau, and yeah. it's like, oh my god, all right, yeah, you know, it's, it's weird. Like, why is this happening? But this also relates to the article I was alluding to earlier about when you know racism plummeted when when people were told uh, uh, aliens exist, because what they found was that there's deep power in in connecting our similarities, right? So, um, the the general point here is is that you know, this question of is it bleeds it leads and what do we do and how do we get people, I think it's ultimately going to come down to one, if we don't change our state, right? Because when you change your state, you're, you're a lot more free to like pick up and choose, mm, let me look at this, right? You're also attracted to different things. Usually you're not as interested in um, really buzzy or really like, you know, uh, harsh driven content on either side per se. Um, so changing our state is one part to it. The other thing is, is just, you know, maybe to just try and I'm thinking about this, finding ways to produce headlines or produce pieces of content that, that, that invite that here's where we might be similar type of, of idea. I, I'm, I'm speaking about this off the top of my head. I'm not sure how to do that entirely, but I do think there's a bit of a challenge right now where people have become so desensitized to just, you know, headlines and, 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 and anger and, and extremities and radical stuff and, and that they're this is all that can move them to click or to look at or to do something um, and uh, and it's harder to just sit down and, and pick up anything and, and read it and explore it and try and understand it um, there's less of a motivation there and I do think some of that's physiological but you know that's some of my take on that I don't know what are your thoughts this kind of came to when you were talking. So um, that connection through anger, my first thought was that that's, isn't that trauma bonding to be like just bonding over the, the mutual hatred. I also tried to like, be like, well, anger is not a bad emotion. I've lived a lot of my mm -hmm. life thinking anger is a bad emotion. So then mm -hmm. for me, I'm like, okay. So my first thought is like, anger is bad, but maybe there's something there that I need to look at right? Maybe there is an important connection that happens through anger um, when it's placed in the right place. Like Justin Trudeau, easy to be angry at him. <laughs> That's probably not where the anger needs to be funneled towards. And then the last thing I'd say is the content I've kind of been playing with and creating. I heard encouragement is going to be the big seller this year. Hmm. And so what do you, what do you mean by that? Where did they say that? Or who said that? I was doing a Brendan Bouchard marketing course. Okay, okay, okay. We know that marketing is not necessarily the strength that I have. Um, Me neither. But he said, what? <laughs> Me neither. <laughs> and, well, and so I'm like, 
this is where I'm living. I'm like, okay, in my life, I'm like, what do I need to embody or learn to live into my passion, into the mission that I have, that I believe I have, the calling. Yeah. And I'm just trying to let go of anything that doesn't, doesn't serve in that sense. So I'm like, I'm just going to take this freaking course. So he was saying in 2022, people are so worn down that encouragement is really, really important and being very clear about it. So then yeah. the posts that I do that are along that, those lines seem to be doing really well. Yeah. So I don't know if that's, so I think, I think there's a place where that lives, but then where's the line as a media professional where I'm, you know, yeah, it's, it's interesting. It's interesting. How do I still, and I, I talked about this yesterday, how do I still be like, hey guys, this is the real, current reality. Yeah. Yes, I'm going to encourage you to let's dream. Let's think about what could be other than that. But let's not just be love and light either. Yeah, it's, it's hard because you can talk to um, so many different people from so many different walks of life and perspectives on life. Um, and that may also even be at different um, uh, different periods of time that they've spent in a, a particular interest, right? So, for example, some people that are uh, newer to alternative media, maybe they've been exploring over the last couple of years, are going to have a different perspective than the people that have been doing it for 15, 20, even 30 years, right? Um, all that to say that you have all these different perspectives and all these different people that perceive things differently and respond to things differently. And it becomes so hard to know how do I write my headlines? How do I, you know, produce, like, why do people respond to this? And so, like, you know, it used to be, I'll be honest, it used to be that Arjun and I could pretty much come up with like a headline that was going to work, I'm going to say like 40% of the time. And that sounds like, oh, wow, hold on. But that's actually a really high percentage. Like to know that you could write an article and put a, headline on it that was truthful that was representative of the content and it wasn't baiting people with like you gotta look at number eight because it'll knock your sock off right <laughs> like no like le legitimately good news headline and you know this story this headline it's 40 percent. this will go viral that's very very good now it feels like it, everything is just toss it up in the air i have no idea <laughs> I, just, I have no clue what changed? What happened? Is 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 our finger not on the you know the pulse, so to speak, of what people are clicking anymore? Or have we become as a society? Uh, have we have we changed in some way? Have we are we less interested in certain things? Do we only click on things that are really uh, you know? We didn't need to create headlines that were really sensational back in the day. We didn't need to do that. Now it's like it seems like you have to. Anytime I see a video going viral or somebody sends me something or we'll get, you know, 10 emails and the false email thing saying like, you got to look at this piece of content, the headline and the claims in the content are always radical. Like, it's just like, oh, this spread like wildfire. I mean, look at the headline. It's, it's like, it's, it's out there, right? Look at the thing. And I'm like, man, what's going on, right? Um, but I'll say this. I've recently been kind of looking at the Atlantic right? So it's a magazine slash online platform. Usually it's less about day-to-day -day journalism per se, and it's more about, you know, writers writing about ideas, right? So stuff that, I mean, I personally find exciting. I'm not going to necessarily say that I totally align with a lot of the perspectives that are shared because, you know, it, it's a, of a certain um, voice and of a certain belief system and so on and so forth. But 
there's they they don't have to do as much to gain the popularity. There's something about their audience and what ends up being popular within that audience that doesn't need this extravagant headline. And then it made me think like, I've been feeling, and this is like just coming straight forward. It's like, I've been feeling extremely uncomfortable for the last four years, kind of being in the alternative space, right? It's not that I dislike people or is this, I just, for something about it, it's like, I don't know where I fit. I don't know how I feel. Like so many people are so angry. So many people are so um, like, they don't represent like the feelings that, that I have about the same topics. And yet I'm lumped in with them. And, and so I started to feel like, what, you know, what is this? What's going on? Right. And I found myself a lot more attracted to audiences that are, a little bit more, say, mainstream in their thinking, but very curious. Like they're very open. Because what I found is that ultimately the hardcore mainstreamers and the hardcore alternative people are kind of the same. They have, and this is what, again, what's fascinating about the study, that alien one that I was telling you about, is that it showed that authoritarians, okay, so these are people by definition of this scientist, are people who are you know, basically wanting to control what is true, what is you know, what everybody should do. They spend a lot of time and energy trying to get rid of anybody who thinks differently and all these different things and blah, blah, blah. And I'm thinking, oh my God, like the hardcore mainstream and the extreme left and the woke left is the same as the hardcore conspiratorial or the hardcore alternative. They're both authoritarians <laughs> in, in that sense, right? And again, I'm not, I don't want to generalize. I think everybody should think about this for themselves, but that's what I've been feeling comfortable with, un uncomfortable with, is this idea that I'm part of a community that I feel is, is so crystallized in its perspectives. And it's no longer fun because we're not exploring anymore. We're just, we have the truth. We have the answers. And it's like, do we? <laughs> so, so, do we? Yeah. Yeah, I'm in that boat with you. And... Um, what I've, I'm, I'm going to build on that. What I've kind of seen is what's frustrating to me or what I'm working out in myself is a victimization on both sides where, mm -hmm. where it's like, it's not about building. It's not about innovating. It's not about, you know, stretching and growing. It's about, these are the bad people, whatever side it is. They're the reason why my life's bad. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to be angry about it because that's the only way I know how to connect. Just as an example, I'm not saying yeah. that that's true for everyone. That's just, yeah, I'm, I'm like, I'm very much like, where are the people who want to play? Where are the people right. who want to, yeah, build and yeah. Yeah. Cause I think like, you know, again, you, you mentioned anger earlier and how like it's seen as like a bad emotion and like, we shouldn't feel it. It's like, I, I think, you know, wherever on the spectrum people lie, if you're feeling angry, I, I think there's a lot of reason to feel anger in our world right now. Like there's a lot of reasons, right? And so it's not, you know, not acknowledging the anger or not sitting with the anger or not processing with the anger. It's more so how have you actually sit and felt and let that anger move through you? Or does the anger come up as a response and then we just keep start reacting to it and, and 
and and and and and sort of playing it out and playing it out and energizing and energizing it and passing it off to everybody else and then more and more 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 and more like to me the anger is like a signal of something it's a it, it, you know it, it's it's bringing us in and with emotions emotions are you know like energy that's supposed to sort of move through our body they provide a a, a momentary experience that's triggered by something that that we see or we hear or something like that and it gains insight into how we think about things or how we perceive things and I find that this feeling of the emotion, right? Like I go through this sometimes when I feel confused about my work, right? I will feel this like chaos in my body. And my initial sort of reaction might be to like, just start looking around, right? Like, let me go to this side. Let me go to that side. Let me, let me try and figure out why I feel confused about it. And I'm like, well, hold on a second. You know, I quickly catch myself. Maybe not quickly. Sometimes it's like a couple hours. I'm fucking like all over the place. <laughs> but, but then you'll, you'll be like, okay, hold on a second. Let me just sit and allow this feeling of confusion to move through. Right. Um, and like when you make the space for it, like actually put your phone, this is my phone case because my phone's there. You put your phone down and you, you put your, you know, and you just sit and you make space for the emotion to be what it is and maybe see, does it have a, does it have a name? Am I feeling confused? Is there also anger mixed within that? Is there kind of chaos? Like, where in my body do I kind of feel this stuff a little bit? Okay, it's kind of whirling around my stomach, no problem. And just kind of acknowledge it and let it be what it is. Um, it can move through you. It can kind of do exactly what it what it needs to do. And then once it's kind of passed through, it could be 10 minutes, it could be an hour, it could be half the day. I mean, I don't know, we're all different, right? We're all at different uh, places within how we experience things too. But you then can a lot more easily look back at it and start saying, what, what did that experience mean to me? Like, why did I have that feeling? And usually there's a significant amount more resolve, insight. Um, you know, you're not just trapping the emotion or burying the emotion or allowing the emotion to drain the shit out of you. <laughs> you become like so tired afterwards. You're not reacting. You're, you're, it's almost like an intelligent response. And I think this sort of, this process of like, moving through emotions, feeling emotions, processing emotions, playing with emotions is unfortunately something that all of us, I mean, myself included, and I, I think back to my childhood, um, that we just, we haven't really mastered, right? We haven't even really kind of become intermediates with, like we're, we're not the greatest um, with, with processing collectively our emotions and really making space for them. So, you know, I've, uh, I found that that I find is a, is a big part of, if you if you're feeling a lot of anger about the world, making space for that process is, you know, I think is is necessary. Hundred percent, and I think a lot of people are moving towards that. With, um, it is becoming more popular this embodiment work, and I've talked about this too. Mm -hmm. The thing I've done in my life is I spin. I don't necessarily oppress emotion, but I spin story around it so intensely. So I can't remember who was talking about that, but it's essentially we do one or the other. We like ignore or we spin a story and mm -hmm. both are not really processing. So what's, what's an example of like spinning a story around it? Okay. So if I feel anger, this is, I'm not saying this is a real story, but uh, <laughs> my dad, said, I'm going to use this. I'm feeling what? Did you, you smash the lamp first? I smashed the lamp. Um, right. I'd spin anger. My, my dad would come into this interview. I'd be like angry. <laughs> and, and then I would spin a story about justifiably how growing up my dad was mean to me or something. Right. So then we spin on the story 
because that story for some reason is easier for me to process than for me to look at whatever's in myself, whatever's creating that emotion and to just sit with it and be like, okay with it. And, yeah. and so I have to justify my emotions almost maybe because I feel shame about feeling them or something. So it's a spinning mm -hmm. of a story that justifies a feeling, right. but yeah. it's still not just processing and letting yourself feel the thing and let it flow through you. Right. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. But the thing about someone who spins a story, I'm going to speak for myself is I get to feel really smart. I get to feel really justified. I get to feel really self-righteous and I'm, and, I, and, 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 you know, put people in their place. So. Yeah. Well, that sounds like fun. Yeah. I'm going to keep doing it. Yeah. Through processing emotion. Um, anyway. Okay. I think it's hilarious that we started out in media and then we ended up here. I think that that's actually so beautiful. And I have a couple questions just cause I, I think that this is important for people to see people who change their minds. So what's, mm -hmm. this is my favorite question. What's the biggest lie you once believed? Oh, um, it's an interesting question. Um, you know, I feel like oh, that's a, that, it's a hard one because like there have there have definitely been things like where I've changed my mind, like aspects of COVID-19, for example, and, and that evolving narrative. There was there was facts and details within that where I changed my mind. Like, for example, I initially uh, in the early days thought that there was way less severity for certain people with the virus. Um, and then as, you know, 30, 60, 90 days went by and you started to realize, OK, there's whoa, okay, hold for some people, because initially it was like, oh, it's just a cold, it's just a flu, but, but no, for some people, this is like rocking the shit out of them. Okay, so you kind of change your mind about that. Like, that's that's something recent that I can think about, and I've let the, the narrative sort of, you know, change my perspective on things. Um, I'm talking, though, like, something you believed wholeheartedly, and you have I would, to I would say, when I was young, it would probably be kind of this story that if you were just, and I, this is going to sound like cynical almost, but it was, it, it's kind of like this story of if you're just a good person and you, you know, uh, you, you work hard and you do the right things all the time that a lot of life will come easy and, and be fulfilling and say rewarding and, and, good things will happen to you, so to speak. Like what I mean by that is like, if you're just a good person or whatever, you're going to get the good jobs and you're going to have the good money and you're going to have this. And, you know, when I was young, like that's, that's the story of your parents because they want to raise you to be a high quality individual. Right. So they, they tell you these things and, and the reward is that you'll have a, a good life, so to speak. And it's, it's it, why I say this sounds cynical and, and I feel like it needs unpacking is it's like, it's not that I feel I don't have a good life or it's not that I feel that, you know, good people aren't rewarded or whatever. But it's that classic sort of idea of nice guys finish last type thing, right? It's, 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 it's just to say that it was the acknowledgement as I got older that just because you're doing the right thing or just because you're being good, it doesn't mean that you're going to get rewarded with the things that make this world go round, right? So you can still have happiness. You can still have peace. But what it requires is that to feel good, is a different pathway than to attain the money and to attain the things by being a good person, you get those things and then you feel good. That was a lie. It's more so 
you, you know, the pathway to peace, the pathway to happiness is very different than the societal story. And the good people and all these different things, it doesn't necessarily mean that all the good things will come, right? I hope that was kind of clear, but there's a couple of little nuances in there. Yeah, and I think what I'm exploring right now, if I can speak to that, is there's something very different than do the right thing and you get the proper life. I think as human beings, we really don't understand that we're here for depth. We're not here mm -hmm. for a shallow experience. So. Yeah. Oh, I just lost your sound. Can you hear me? Can I hear you? There we go. You're back. There we go. Somebody called, so it cut off my audio. Ah. So I just want to speak to that. Like, we're here for depth. We're here for, for something more, I, I personally believe. And yeah, that, I don't think that comes from, from, it can be easy and flowy, but it doesn't come from like easy. Yeah. I, I'm, not yeah. Into I'm not into hustle culture at all. So I'm not saying it's about the hustle. I'm saying it's about depth. Yeah. It's about, yeah. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot that, it's sort of that old, you know, sort of adage, like, you know, when you're in the moment of something that's very challenging and difficult and, and um, you know, you might see it as like, wow, this is a harsh experience. Why the heck is this happening to me, right? Um, but, you know, two, three years later, when you've sort of moved through that and processed and, you know, sort of seen the, the fruits of that, and I'm not saying fruits in a material sense per se, but the fruits as in like, wow, I, I expanded my capacity to deal with difficult situations or I expanded my capacity to communicate my needs or whatever it might be. You look back and go, yeah, I wouldn't trade that experience for anything, right? Um, and, and, you know, that's kind of the, this, this, this whole idea of, of the depth and, and, you know, sometimes it's not always easy to understand, but. No, and stuff. this idea of what's right is there's, yeah. I think there's like a general consideration for other people. And I think there's love. I think that alignment with love is quote unquote, right. But that's been skewed so much. The definition of that. Yeah. So what's right is also up for question. Um, Okay, and what would you tell people? I know this is like off topic from what we're talking about, but I just think it's important for people to hear this message. What would you tell people who are just waking up to what's going on? And let's say like, I've had people message me, they took the V and they're like devastated right now. They're like, I wish I would have known this information sooner. And there's a lot of people who are waking up. And as you kind of said earlier, you know, clicking onto something alternative that says everybody's gonna die. Mm -hmm. That's not, that's not encouraging <laughs> to say well, the least. Not either, right? Because nobody can know that, right? No. Um, so how is this a helpful narrative? Um, you know, and what would you tell these people? What would you tell these people who are like waking up? Yeah, I mean, I, it's sometimes I find it hard um, to sort of provide general thoughts because I think each person has like a little bit of a different uh, constitution as to how they might be like, hmm, how should I go about that? Or how should I, you know, with wherever they're at in their own exploration right now. But it's like, for me, I would say that like really, you know, get multiple perspectives on something that, that you're looking at. Like if you're, I, I spoke to a guy who just kind of started exploring things about a year ago and he was saying a lot of things um, which reminded me so much of like what it felt like way back in like 2009 and 10 when like a lot of this stuff was just getting going for us and like for a lot of other people and um, 
sometimes there's like a lack of wisdom in how to navigate the space and how to navigate information. And, um, you know, I just kind of bestowed onto him this idea of like, just be open, be curious, right? Like try not to, you know, really just like, this is what is going on or this is exactly what's happening. Or if, if this doctor or that scientist says it, then it's automatically true. Like if we're going to tear apart the doctors and the scientists in the mainstream, like why do we give all the credence to the doctors and scientists on the other side, so to speak, right? It, it, it's just to say that it's like, let the evidence be the evidence. If you feel a, a gut feeling about something, pay attention to it, listen, see how you feel about it. Right. But ultimately maintain a playful attitude as much as you can, right? Like be curious, like be playful. If you notice yourself getting really serious, see if you can take a moment, stop and, and sort of re-question how you feel about something or how you're approaching the situation, right? Why am I losing the playfulness, right? What is going on? That said, and this is why I, I say it's hard to give general advice is it's like for somebody that it's like, they can't be playful because they have a very large fear about something going on. Maybe, maybe they regret being vaccinated and now they feel in their mind that they have a toxin in them that's going to kill them. Right. That's a totally different situation. <laughs> so, um, again, general advice is tough, but I would just say that it's like every, all roads at the end of the day, I think lead back to greater sense of self-awareness, greater sense of embodiment and just understanding how we're feeling about something gives us so much more freedom in how we're navigating information, gives us so much more freedom in how we're able to, you know, not get so uh, crystallized in our perspectives and being able to kind of take in multiple things and, and play with them, be curious about them. Um, you know, yeah, I think there was a comment there, being willing to change your mind, I think is a, a, definitely a very big thing. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's uh, just some thoughts. Beautiful. Um, Joe, how can people support you, get involved, hang out with you digitally? Yeah. So, I mean, I don't use a lot of social media these days, but I mean, I, I, from time to time I do, I sometimes I'm like, maybe I'll do it a lot more often soon. Maybe I won't. I, I don't know. But there is my Instagram account, which you can see here. Um, a lot of our work, uh, pretty well, you can navigate and find and, and consume through the pulse dot one that's dot o n e so that'll lead you to you know our articles our videos when we release podcast episodes this sort of thing we have a youtube channel you can get on our email list from our website our telegram channel from our website we're kind of going through a, a process of you know speaking of depth um of kind of moving a little bit away from like more day-to-day -day newsy information -y type stuff to more you know, deeper sort of philosophical driven societal driven like asking big questions and exploring some of the big um, I guess societal themes that need to be talked about if we're going to transform and if we're going to move towards uh, a better world, so to speak, you know, that's what we try and do. That's what we try and embody, but you know, that's where well, to find it. And what about the Explorer Lounge? Oh, and the, the Explorer <laughs> Lounge. So if you want to become a member and support our work and like, you know, join in on that, that whole journey, um, you can check out the Explorer Lounge. We have, uh, I believe it's uh, on the, on the website, it's under, you know, membership or something like that. Um, and uh, yeah, that, that supports what we're doing and maybe takes it to a bit of a deeper level as well. Love it. Thank you so much, Joe. I mean, you kind of said this in your last answer, but I want to bring attention to it. You know, Joe's so thoughtful, so intelligent, but he truly is one of the most playful people I've ever met in my life. And yeah. I think that's why, and the, no, no pressure now, you're like, I have to be playful. No, um, I think that's why you're able to 
many people have said to me when they watch your work and they see you, it's like a calming effect. And I think it is because you really embody this playfulness, this curiosity, and I think the world needs more of that. So thanks, Joe. That's it. That's all. That's great feedback. And I, I hope, you know, because I, I got to say sometimes behind the scenes, you know, I, I go through my moments of feeling, what am I doing and why? Right. So, you know, that is there as well. But um, yeah, I, I, I appreciate that feedback. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. Have a good day. See you. All right. Time. Thank you. Appreciate the, the time and the conversation in the chat. Yeah. Okay. See ya. All right. Take care. Thanks everyone for joining us.